Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, we've been talking about Pentecost the last um, couple days, and this was one of the three feasts that the Jews were commanded by God to come to Jerusalem, um, uh, you know, three times a year. And uh, so so Pentecost didn't begin uh, in Acts chapter 2. It began uh, several hundred years before. Um, But this was a very significant event for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Why is new meaning is given to an to an old event. That's right. Um, but it's not entirely different than the the meaning that it had in the Old Testament. That's right. And it's significant that the Holy Spirit was poured out on this day because all of the Jews and 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 proselytes from from all these different nations converged on Jerusalem. And so that by the time, you know, the, the some of the New Testament epistles are being written, Paul is writing letters to churches that in places that he hadn't even visited yet. Uh, precisely because these people had taken the gospel back to their mm-hmm. their countries and um, and churches started blooming. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is important to note. Um, Josh keeps using the word proselytes, and maybe you don't know what that means. It, it just means those that were from peop- uh, nations outside of Israel that um, came to put their faith in um, the God of, of Judaism. Um, they became Jewish in their belief system, even though they may have been from a whole host of various nations. And so um, I, the only reason why I'm noting that is because what you have here is that Peter is going to give a sermon to those that believed in the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a message going out to the nations as in Gentiles, those that did not accept the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. Um the book of Acts will be that, but it's not there yet. Um, this is really um, the church speaking to the church of the Old Testament. Yeah. Let's connect for our listeners the Bible together in, in just a couple paragraphs. Uh, what's happening here in Acts chapter 2 is the kind of fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that that God made with Abraham back in Genesis 12, when he separated Abraham um, out of of Babel and and created a nation. Uh, I think a lot of people have the misconception that this, you know, the Old Testament is is just, you know, God's Jewish people and the New Testament is, you know, kind of God's plan B that the church, because the Jewish people didn't work out. That's not what, that's it's a misreading of the Bible. God told Abraham in Genesis uh, 12, he says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless all. 
all those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth, meaning all the other nations. From the very beginning, the covenant that God made with Abraham, which is the covenant of grace, was not just a Jewish covenant. It was a covenant for all peoples. It was a missionary covenant. That's right. Because God's a missionary God and and he'll send his missionary son into the world to die for the sins of 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 all those who will believe, and then he's going to send his spirit as a missionary spirit, so that people will be converted uh, to Christ. Yeah. So in the Old Testament, we use an analogy the other day about you know how the Holy Spirit worked in the old versus the new. In the old, it's kind of like the picture of, of water trickling out of a sink, and the new, it's like Niagara Falls. The same thing is true here. There were there were pro- proselytes in the Old Testament. Um, Ruth mm-hmm. uh, was a Moabitess by birth, but she mm-hmm. became a Jew by conversion. And there's there's a sprinkling of this happening all over the Old Testament. What happened at Pentecost was there was an explosion. And this is one of the, the differences between pre-Christ and post-Christ. Pre-Christ, the only light there in the world. There is no post-Christ, you know. Post-resurrection, <laughs> sorry. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my, my brain's not working very well today. Uh, <laughs> okay, most days, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll correct. Um, Pre-Christ, um, Israel was the only light of the world. I mean, there was darkness in Philistia and and Syria and and all these different and, and Egypt. But post-resurrection, Christ defeated the strong man, and now the gospel light has gone out into to the whole mm-hmm. world. That's one of the the big differences before and after Jesus. The calling upon. Israel in the Old Testament, the Old Testament church, is the same as the calling upon the New Testament church. Jesus says that we're supposed to be salt and light. In the Old Testament, um, Israel was supposed to be light to the nations. Um, the Psalms speak of this, um, call upon them. Um, in the call upon Abraham, the promise given to Abraham that he was supposed to be, he was blessed to be a blessing. The, the difficulty is that Israel struggled to fulfill their calling, at least in part, not entirely, but at least in part, because of what changes at Pentecost, which is the outpouring of the Spirit, which is in in fulfillment of, of Joel chapter 2 and Jeremiah chapter 31, that there's a, a greater fullness of the Spirit, which means that there is a, a, a greater power that comes upon the church of the New Testament that the Old Testament didn't possess. Mm-hmm. And what you'll find is in the Old Testament, there were moments when that power came upon individuals when they were asked to do or commanded to do certain tasks or roles. And so what you would see with in limited scope and limited nature in the Old Testament when God accomplished great things through a momentary outpouring of his spirit now becomes the norm for all believers in the New Testament age. And so to me, that's the primary difference. Mm -hmm. So picking up from our passage yesterday, the the Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples. They start um, preaching, and the people that are there gathered from every nation hear this preaching in their own native language. Uh, They said, what does this mean? And then Peter starts to explains. I don't know how far you guys want to go in the passage, but maybe we pick up right there in verse 11 or 14. Sorry. But Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to 
my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, this is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And so Peter's going to tie back everything that they're seeing and saying, this actually shouldn't be as unexpected as you think it is because Joel told you this day was coming. Now this is that day. And the prophet Joel said this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Can we stop right there for a second? So he says in verse 17, and in the last days, he's quoting the, the prophet Joel. The way that the New Testament authors understood from post-resurrection Christ on is this whole period is the last last days. days. The the resurrection of Christ was the, begins the last days. Yeah, so we are, they were in the last days and we are in the last days. Mm -hmm. And the point of this first part is that the spirit will be poured out Mm -hmm. and they're seeing the effects of that. And it says, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And the signs were what we read back in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's mm-hmm. what Peter is making reference to. Mm-hmm. And he says, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, though, the thing that I think is uh, perhaps deliciously ironic about this passage is in verse 21 when he says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter didn't even understand these words that he was saying. I, I, I mean, from a certain perspective. Back in chapter 1, he says, you shall be my witnesses in you know Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So, so from the very beginning, Jesus commissioned them to preach the gospel to every nation, not requiring that they would become Jewish proselytes first and then Christians, but that they could go straight to the Father through Jesus. Peter didn't understand that message until Acts chapter 10 because of the, the dream that he had with, with Cornelius, you know, uh, about Cornelius. Here, he is literally speaking above his ability to understand. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to become a Jew first. You can be saved right where you're at. Um, if you if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe that he is the, the, the Jewish Messiah. I think that is... I don't know. I, I guess that gives me courage as a preacher that sometimes when I get up behind a pulpit and, and preach something, I might not perfectly understand what I'm saying at that point, but the Spirit is interpreting those words correctly. Well, we do hope that. I mean, <laughs> I, actually, actually, you know, that's the prayer of every uh, uh, pastor, uh, Lord, feed your sheep, you know, regardless of what I say, yeah. feed your sheep. But I, you know, I, I do think that what we see here, you know, with that boldness of the Holy Spirit coming on on them, we you know we see on this event that three thousand people are going to be saved in one day. That's you know historically, that is um, amazing. We see pieces of that sometimes. You know, a person of average ability will get up. Um, you know, historically, and you have these great revivals where um, you know their their response is the same as the people that are hearing Peter preach. What must we do to be saved? And they and they. And there's a, a tremendous conversion that takes place. What's interesting about the sermon that 
Peter's going to deliver, and we're not finished with it. But you, we expect him to talk about the Holy Spirit, but really what he's pointing to is the Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. all the way through yeah. this sermon. In fact, if you want to know somebody who is filled with the Spirit, you'll find that they don't aren't speaking about the Spirit. They're speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the Spirit is not speaking about the Spirit. John That's 16, right. the Spirit takes from Christ and brings it to the church. Right. We'll eventually get there, but just to follow up on what will, Jonathan... Will we, though? You, will, will you? <laughs> <laughs> the Spirit is what people... The, the, the signs and wonders with the outpouring of the Spirit is what attracted everybody's attention. Mm. That gave Peter the platform to proclaim Christ. Yep. And really what he says at the end is... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You will have the same outpouring of the Spirit on you. You will Mm -hmm. possess the Spirit. But how do you get the gift? Mm -hmm. Well, this goes back to what we talked about days ago when we were in Ephesians 4 with the ascension, Mm -hmm. that the gift that they receive only comes from the ascended Christ. The giver. The giver is Jesus Christ. And you can't get the gift of the Spirit without possessing or being possessed by Jesus Christ. And I think there are so many people in the church, in the modern church day, that want the gifts of you know all these wondrous things without actually wanting Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And really what Peter is saying is, no, you you need to come to the end of yourself. You need to repent. Mm-hmm. What you need is the work of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. Yeah. And the bonus is he gives you the Spirit. Yeah, that's ultimately, right. um, you know, Pentecost is a Christ-centered event. Yes, that's right. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We hope that you have been edified by these programs. If you have missed any of them and would like to get caught up, just go to your podcast app and subscribe to The Gospel for Life. You can be our, I think we're up to 20th listener now. Jonathan has a new prize if you're our 20th (laughs) listener. (laughs) Just subscribe there. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 